Well, as Amy said, we are in the second week of our series, um, What If? And this week we are talking about what if Jesus had never taught? And before we jump into this, I'd like to do two things. One, I'd like to welcome everybody that's online. I'm glad you're with us today. And secondly, I'd like to pray before we start because uh, this is an important subject and I don't, I wanna take it lightly. So Father, um, we come before you. I ask that you'll guide me as I speak and that, that, that all the things that I say will be honoring to you and to all that you have done for us through your son, Jesus. We thank you for this time together. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been doing a lot of reading lately on the things related to the world that Jesus lived in during the uh, first century in Palestine. I've been reading a lot of history books on that lately, and I know that we live at a time when we're all wondering about the divisiveness and the unpredictability of things, but as I've been studying, what I've found is that those days were such that it seems to me that we're actually living in a time of relative peace as compared to what was happening in the days that Jesus was here. Um, We know that those days were volatile because there were historians who kept records of what was happening at that time. We still have those records. And what those records tell us is that when Jesus came on the scene and he began his ministry, He wasn't the only Messiah who was stirring up the restless, anxious Jewish people. No, actually, he was just one of a number of men who came claiming to be the Messiah and claiming that they were the ones who would finally free the Jewish people from the Romans and they would bring peace to Israel. And there's one historian whose name is Flavius Josephus, Josephus is probably the best-known historian of the day, and he summed up the period of time when Jesus lived with these words, and I know that the, the language of this translation is a bit awkward, but I think you'll get the picture of what he says. He says, before the destruction of the temple, and that would have been in 70 AD that the temple was destroyed, so he's talking about the time from 70 AD back through the days of Jesus. He says, Before the destruction of the temple, a number of messiahs arose, promising relief from the Roman yoke and finding ready followers. A body of wicked men sprung up, cleaner in their hands. Now, that phrase means that they were more religious than most people, that they were cleaner in their hands, but more wicked in their intentions, and they destroyed the peace of Jerusalem. They were deceivers and deluders of the people, and under pretense of divine illumination, they prevailed on the multitude to act like madmen and went before them in the wilderness pretending that God would show them signs of liberty. In other words, there was a lot going on that was pretty out of control. It's clear to me that Josephus, when he wrote this down, he had made, it up, he had made up in his mind whether or not these so-called messiahs other messiahs were reliable messengers from God. I find it interesting that two of these so-called messiahs are actually mentioned in the Bible. They're mentioned in Acts 5, 
The first is a man named Theudas, and there's another man named Judas the Galilean, who both were pretenders to the Messiahship, and they're mentioned in the Bible as having been people that did that. And it's also interesting to me that this Judas of Galilee the Judas the Galilean, as he was known, he had a son named Menahim, and this particular son of Judas the Galilean, when his father failed at the proving that he was the Messiah, he claimed to be the Messiah. They all had um, said that they had special miracle working power from heaven, and that they had a mandate from God to overthrow the Romans, and people followed them. In fact, so many people followed them. There's another guy that we only know as the Egyptian in history, and this guy summoned, get this number, 30,000 people together on the Mount of Olives one day, and he told them that when he commanded the walls of Jerusalem to fall, the walls would fall down, and all 30,000 of them could rush into Jerusalem, overthrow the Romans, and take over the city. Well, the bottom line is, and why Josephus was so clear that he thought they were evil men, was that when he made this command, the walls didn't fall. But what did fall was the displeasure of the Romans, and it fell on those 30,000 people in a terrible way. Now, the reason I'm telling you about all these men is this. Pretty much all we know about them is that they showed up on the scene, they created a big commotion, and then they disappeared. That's about all we have about them. And while I'm certain that they must have been good at oratory because they could gather, one of them could gather 30,000 people together to do what he asked them to do, though they were probably good at inspiring people to action, we don't have very much of what they actually said that motivated people. And while it is true that at this time during Jesus' life there were many religious teachers or rabbis, many of them who lived in Judea and Galilee at that time, the vast majority of Jewish people were not looking for a teacher. No, they were looking for someone more powerful than a teacher. They were looking for someone that lived up to the prophecies of the coming Messiah in the Old Testament and could bring about huge political and social change, someone who would overthrow the Romans and ultimately set up what everyone referred to as the kingdom of God. And here's the bottom line. Jesus did not need to be a teacher. He just didn't. He had miracle-working power, and that in and of itself would have drawn huge crowds. It did draw huge crowds. The truth is that Jesus could have fulfilled all of the Jewish people's dreams for the future and never given a single sermon. He could have shown up and simply shown that he had power over the demons and that he had power over disease and that he could control the weather. And the Jewish people would have followed him in the confidence that he could conquer the Romans. But can you imagine how different our world would be? And I mean literally our entire world would be if Jesus had not been a teacher. I can't even imagine what the world would have been like 
if we only had the record of some of Jesus' miraculous acts and then stories about how lots of people followed him and then a record of how the Romans tried to get rid of one more Jewish man who claimed to be the Messiah. What I want us to think about today is how different our world would have been if Jesus had never taught, if he hadn't come with a message. My first thought is that Jesus probably wouldn't have been anything more than a footnote in history. He'd have been just like Theudas and Menahem. Just try for a moment to think of how different it would have been if Jesus had never given, say, the Sermon on the Mount, if we never heard it, that Jesus was, well, here, here, Jesus was born into a world where almost all of the thinking about what it was to be religious or righteous depended on obeying the rules and regulations of the Old Testament law. Why, almost everybody then believed that God showed his favor on those who best obeyed this law. In fact, I'm going to give you a few statements of common wisdom of the day that prove that this was the point. Here's one. Here's a common wisdom of the day. Blessed are the rich, for God is rewarding them materially because they are best at obeying the law. In other words, we know who's really religious and righteous because they're what? wealthy. That was common wisdom. Here's another one. Blessed are the happy, those without any problems in life, for God is making their life easy because they are truly righteous. Righteous defined by what? Obedience to law. Here's another one. Bless, the blessed, in other words, the rich or those without any trouble in life, can be proud because God is showing the world that they are truly his most favorite people. And yet in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus turned all of this kind of thinking on its head. Just think what our world would be like if the common thinking of the way God works was still the same as from the first century. Can you imagine what it would have been like if Jesus had never taught God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him? The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Or if Jesus had never said God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. Or God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. Or try to imagine if Jesus had never said this in that same sermon, you have heard it said that you must not murder. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. What a difference that statement makes. Truth is, we would have very different ideas about what God expects from us and how God shows his love to us and how we are to love one another if Jesus hadn't taught these truths. Or just try to imagine what it would have been like if Jesus had never taught anyone any of the parables. Um, how about the parable of the farmer scattering seed? Why, in that one parable, Jesus tells us 
both that God longs to speak to us and have us listen to him, and that he wants our lives to be meaningful and fruitful. Or just try to imagine a world where Jesus never told anyone the parable about the mustard seed. This one really would be terrible not to have this one. I mean, this parable, it's so simple, and yet it tells us that God knows all about how hard it is to have faith in this world, and yet God still wants to bless even that tiny little bit of faith that we do have. Or just try to imagine if we never had the parable of the Good Samaritan. In that teaching, Jesus not only told us about how important it is for us to care for one another, but he also tells us that God wants to care for us in our times of trouble as well. I know that just not having those three simple parables would have changed all of our thoughts about how much God does love us and how he's doing so much in the world to show us that he loves us. I mean, I, I really can't imagine what our thoughts about God would have been if Jesus hadn't taught this bit. If Jesus hadn't said this, just imagine what our thinking about him would be. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out and search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. I'm so glad he said that. I'm so glad he taught that because it lets me know that he was willing to find me when I was lost. Now, there have been plenty of philosophers and moral teachers over the centuries, and there were even religious teachers at the time of Jesus who said important things about being kind to one another, and they said important things about we all need to get along, and that it's vital that we're honest with one another, and that we're generous, and that kind of stuff. I mean, these aren't necessarily ideas that grow out of the teachings of Jesus, but I am 100% convinced that the reason that there was so much of an effort to record and save the teachings of Jesus is that he didn't make nice suggestions about how we should all just get along. No, what Jesus did through his teaching was he introduced the radical and world-transforming message of self-giving love. Only Jesus taught about a coming kingdom which completely turned upside down all of human values and showed us an entirely new way to live. Now, I can't even imagine what our world would look like today if Jesus hadn't put an emphasis on teaching. Because Jesus came to teach something that wasn't just good advice or helpful wisdom, no, what he came to tell us and to teach us about was the pathway that leads to an abundant life. But of course, Jesus did teach, and boy, did he ever. Um, there's an, it's an interesting note about the records that we have of Jesus' teaching is this. Um, 
Most scholars now believe that Mark's gospel, and you know there are four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and most scholars now believe that Mark was the first gospel of the four that was written, and that the that Matthew and Luke used Mark's gospel as their template to write their gospels about Jesus. And if you read Mark's gospel, you will notice that he says over and over that Jesus taught the people. He says it all the time. And Jesus gathered the people and he taught them. And he taught them. But oddly, he never gets around to telling us very much of what Jesus taught. Read it. You'll see that that's true. And so it's my contention that when Matthew and Luke started writing their books and using Marx as the template for what they were going to write, they made certain that they included tons of Jesus' teaching to make up for Mark not putting any in his gospel. And I'm glad they did. I'm glad they did. And later, when John, much later than the other three Gospels, got around to writing his Gospel, it looks to me like John went to great lengths to include a whole bunch more of Jesus' teaching that wasn't in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but John, like everything in John, is only in John, almost. Now, I'm sure you all know this that when the original Gospels were written, they were not red-letter editions, okay? You know what I mean by red-letter editions, where all the words of Jesus are in red letters. Um, but if you do have, I have one, my Bible is a red-letter edition, if you get that out and you look at the Gospel of John, you'll see that almost all of it, almost all of it is what? red. Why? Because John wanted to make sure that we had as much of what Jesus taught as was possible. Because John wanted us to know that almost everything that Jesus said teaches us something tremendously important about the heart of God. Why John even tells us that Jesus made certain that we knew that he wasn't just teaching things that he happened to think up while he was walking around. No, he makes sure that we know that Jesus, what, that he came with a specific message from a specific someone. Here's what John records Jesus as teaching about his own teaching. Jesus said, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. And then he went on to say this, yes, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I'm not here on my own. The one who sent me is true, and you don't know him, but I know him because I come from him, and he sent me to you. And what is it that Jesus heard from his father and came to tell us? Well, there's a very interesting point in John where John has an editorial comment, and what he does is he sums up everything that Jesus came to say and everything that Jesus came to do, and it's this, John wrote this and said, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son 
so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Now I know that some scholars will make a big point of the fact that Jesus taught in a specific time to a specific culture to address specific issues in his day. And that the gospel writers were recording the things that Jesus taught because they were so relevant to the situations that existed in the first century. And I get that. But I can't shake the reality that possibly one of the greatest works of the Holy Spirit throughout the centuries is that the books that tell us the things that Jesus taught then were copied and saved and preserved in such careful ways that here we are 21 centuries later, 21 centuries after Jesus originally taught these things, and we can still be pretty certain, like really certain, that what we have is almost exactly what he said. Now, I don't have time to go into all the apologetics related to this, but take my word for it. The evidence is very strong that we can be certain that what we have is what Jesus said, and that the Holy Spirit worked really hard to make sure that we still have what Jesus taught. And the reason the Holy Spirit worked hard to have what Jesus taught then is because it's important to God still today that Jesus can continue to teach us. And what is it that Jesus wants to teach us today? What is it? Well, if you're feeling lost and unimportant today, Listen to what Jesus is still saying directly to you through his teaching. He said, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Jesus came from heaven with a message from God a message he was to teach to all of us. And that message is that you are more valuable to God than you can ever imagine. If you woke up this morning and you found that you are worried about tomorrow and you're wondering if God even cares about your life, well, listen to what Jesus said directly in his teaching, directly to us today, to you today. He said, I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet 
Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and then thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Jesus came from heaven with a message from God to teach us that God loves us. He loves you. You are valuable to him. And beyond that, he is paying attention. And he will take care of you. Or if you have a lost sheep in your life, a child or a relative or a friend that you long to see coming to Jesus, I'm going to reread to you what Jesus is still saying directly to you about your lost one. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out and search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that did not wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Jesus came from heaven with a message to teach to us directly from the heart of God. And that's that the God of the universe loves your lost lamb more than you'll ever know. And he too is diligently working to bring your precious one home. I want to finish by talking very briefly about why we feel it is so important that we continue to teach the things of Jesus here at Grace. First, Matthew 28, 18 tells us this, that Jesus said this directly to us. He said, I have been given all authority in heaven on earth. That's a lot of authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. And so, listen up when I say the next thing. He said, so, as you are going, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. This is a commandment that we cannot ignore. And so here at Grace, we will continue to major on teaching the things that Jesus taught. And here's what the Apostle Paul said will happen in our lives if we major on the teaching the things that Jesus taught. Paul said, and now, just as you've accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him and to let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And so we will continue to teach the truths of Jesus because we all need deep roots and we all need strong faith. And we all need hearts that overflow with thankfulness. And finally, we completely agree with Jesus' disciple John when he wrote this in his first letter to the churches. He wrote, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Jesus came teaching because all of humanity 
needs to hear that hopeful message that there is light that overcomes all the darkness. And our prayer is that we'll be a community here at Grace that both listens to Jesus' radical and world-transforming message of self-giving love, that we'll listen to that message, and then that we'll live lives that show the world, the dark, divided, unpredictable world, that there is a light that it not only will unify us, but that light is constant and it comes directly from the heart of God. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that you've given us your word. We have the scripture, Father, and that in it is so much of your son's teaching. I'm glad that we can be confident that what we see in the Bible that claims to be the words of Jesus, that we can be confident that those are the words that he gave to us. I'm also thankful, Father, that what your son has said to us is life-giving, that he didn't come to judge us or to condemn us, but to save us, to give us life. My prayer is that we will take all of his teaching very seriously and that we as a community here at Grace Church will live in ways that we fill the world with the light of your love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.